We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Tom Palumbo. Joan Lancho, that's the first one in a while that I haven't been out of breath. I'm so excited. Yeah, you timed it proper. You're getting really good at this. And you know, when you said wow, what you, you will hear, yeah, it's, it's hey, we've, we're both good at it by now. Thank you. At least yeah. above average. But like the last couple of episodes, I've been like holding my breath as I read it. Trying to race, then, race it to the finish. Yeah. yeah. What, I, what I hear are pigeons flapping above me and I'm just terrified I'm going to get shit on during this episode <laughs> of Midwest. I'm just tell, I'm telling you, one of my one of my like inordinate fears is getting shit on by a bird and I just don't want it to happen to me. It happened 30 <laughs> seconds after I drove out of the car wash the other day and now I think my time is coming. It probably is. And so, they say they say that it's good luck if you get shit on by a bird, but no, I think it's I think it's, it's literal I think it's only shit luck. I, I like, think I think it's only people that get shit on that say it's good luck. I think yeah. that's why. Yeah. Or someone says it to them in pity. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to everyone for being here with us this evening. We are coming at you live at our first outdoor show of the year at one of our all-time favorites, Atypical Brewery and Barrel Works in Minot. The hometown. The hometown. We have our hometown people here. It's always exciting to be here. Patio debut for the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I love it. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are so grateful for the comments, the feedback, and the support that we receive from our listeners. It's uh, sometimes it is a bit of a blow to the ego, but every time, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, we always take it to heart and and think about it. And it it does great things. It's we've been able to trend um, on national. Lists, right? Well, you, that's your world more, but it's, it's super cool. And that's, that's what leaving reviews, um, that's what it does for us. So we appreciate that. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? Yeah, the reviews are really important to us and I think to other people who might tune in. And it's just a nice way to let you, let people know, hey, I love you or I don't. And we're going to read them one way or the other. Sometimes it's a gut punch and sometimes yeah. it's a nice upliftment. I'll never forget we were actually sitting on this very stage when someone told me that I was intellectually lazy. Yeah, so it happened right here. I will never forget it. This venue. It's a forever yeah. moment for Don Palumbo. I should be over it, but clearly I bring it up every episode. So, so No, that that's living in your head rent free. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This one comes from Andy Hogg. It's five stars. He's got a t-shirt idea. Quote, it feels icky. There, thanks. Thanks, Andy. We, we encourage yeah. t-shirt ideas. So, if, the, you know. I, I can guarantee I said that. You didn't. That was probably a me, a me thing. It's like, mm, it feels icky. I feel like I might have said that. Really? Yeah, I feel like I want to fight with you about who said that. But we're not doing it right now during the recording. I think we're going to go fisticuffs later. Yeah. Let's do it. We're going to be, mm-hmm. be rolling. This one from Coco underscore 605, also five stars, The Incredible Don and Jonah. Well, that's really nice. I know. I listen to other murder shows, but I love your coverage of lesser known small town murders and the details you bring us in each episode. Most I've listened to so far are new to me. You you brilliantly set the stage, the scene, by recapping that year's current events and your theme song reminds me of The Incredibles. 
heart emoji. Well done. Can't wait to listen to more. I love that. Thank you. And yeah, I feel good like timing on that. Sorry. You can review. Yeah, yeah, you can review us on iTunes or yeah, Spotify. We appreciate you guys. And yeah, we'll read. Yeah, them. and it, just please don't call me intellectually lazy again. Honestly, it's a big blow. It hurt, um, but I'm. But it didn't hurt. It doesn't live rent free in my brain. It's Let's fine. Be real. You've been called worse. That's true. Probably okay. today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so at Merch, we've redesigned some graphics and also added some new ones. We've gone local with our uh, our designs and or with our uh, our products. And so check out our socials for a link or go to www.toomanyshirts.com slash Midwest dash murder. Do we still have to say www? Is that like a, do we no. still have to say no. that? No, I don't think so. I feel like it's like circa think, no. 2003 when I do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're old school. I am. Well, I am getting old. You can buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. Thanks to those of you who participate. It really does help us. Uh, shout out to those members that, that do give us a, a one-time donation or a monthly donation. It's it's huge. It helps us buy. Can that guy stop? Like, are we it, done? Are we it all adds the, up, are, but yeah. What? The crossings? Like, I mean, anyway. Thank you to those who participate in that. It helps us keep the lights on. It gives us, uh, gets us gas money. It gets us case files, all that stuff. And it, it really does mean a lot. So thank you. And, of course, this show is brought to you in part by Midwest Memoirs. Have you ever wondered how the stories of the people you love most will live on after they're gone? Midwest Memoirs is here to help cap- help you capture the most precious memories of your loved ones as told in their voice. This is done with research of your family member and completed through a professionally guided interview in a comfortable studio setting using state-of-the-art recording equipment. The most important stories we'll ever hear are those of the people we love most. Contact Midwest Memoirs today on Facebook or Instagram. And just real real quick on Midwest Memoirs, breaking it down for you, this is an opportunity for you to get someone you love to tell their story from your, their lineage to how your family got here to their favorite moments in life growing up from start to finish. It really is special. Like we, we recently had an eight-year-old who got to listen to the story his grandpa shared with us as part of Midwest Memoirs. Think of it as like an audio chronicle of somebody's life where they have a professional guiding them through these stories and now your family gets that forever for decades and we had an eight-year-old who told his mom my favorite part of hearing grandpa's story was his laughter because grandpa doesn't laugh as much anymore and and that's what we're doing with midwest memoirs we're making sure that these voices the stories are not forgotten and it's really important work and we want to help more people tell those stories yeah and it sounds it sounds super cliche but it's life-changing it's making me more emotional i can't decide if i like it or not i'm just kidding i do love it it's great so the year is 1982, right off, oh, I almost said right off the bat, and that's really funny about what I'm about to say, is Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off a of bat on stage. I didn't even plan that. You guys, I didn't even plan that. That's really good. Um, yes, in 82, Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off of a bat and, uh, you know, made him a, a sat- satanic worshiper for decades. For sure. You know, by, by everyone. Because yeah. that's just what happened, He apparently. still is today, 50 years later, yeah. of course. And the Thriller album was released. Raise your hand if you can do the Thriller, thriller dance. Can you? Can you guys do it? Anybody? No? I oh, oh, literally free okay. tickets to the yeah, next absolutely. show if 100%. you can do the thriller if you, dance. If you can do the whole thing, it's, like, it's in. Yeah. On NBC, Late Night with David Letterman debuted. Notice I said NBC, not CBS, because he was after. Johnny I would not Carson have noticed, but thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad yeah. I pointed it out for you. Uh, the last episode of the Lawrence Welk show aired. E.T. debuted. And of course, it was like it was a big deal about my favorite candy. If you've been following us for a while, usually when we're on the road, I, uh, I take a picture of the Reese's Pieces. And we created a pretty hot debate on whether you say Reese's Pieces 
or Reese's pieces or Reese's pieces. There's three to five variations of how yeah. it might be said. It was a bit heated. Honestly, yeah. it was really fun to be at the at the the puppet the puppeteer uh, place of that. Uh, the Weather Channel aired on cable. Like the 82, Weather Channel. The Weather Channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like my dad's favorite channel. <laughs> my grandma's too. <laughs> Porn star John Holmes, not to be confused with the Midwest favorite Johnny Holm band, went on trial for murder and was eventually acquitted. He started, I guess you can say, starred in like over 530 adult films. Okay. I That's found good. that interesting. That's great trivia mm-hmm. info. Unnecessary, honestly, but... Uh, President Ronald Reagan was shot in an attempted assassination, and a couple months later, Pope John Paul II survived an attempt as well, creating the Pope Mobile forever. It was awesome. And Ronald Reagan also declared a war on drugs, and I think we could actually start a podcast just on that topic in and of itself. You could. It would be very heated. The Supreme Court ruled that all children, regardless of that child's citizenship, are entitled to a public education. So I'm just going to go ahead and like check my notes here and like tell you it's 1982. It's 82. 82. That was that was apparently a very big deal. Prince William, first son of Prince Charles and Princess Diana, was born at Wrigley Field. The longest baseball game ended after 22 innings between the Dodgers and the Cubs. It started on the 17th of August and ended on the 18th of August. <laughs> it's a very long game. <laughs> And uh, and I think we it's, was it's, anybody left watching at the end. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, yes, I guess at that point you just want to be part of history, right? So then uh, we and we all know how much shit I like to give Ohio because you know they're like, oh, we're Midwest, and I, I honestly would just like to fight someone from Ohio that says that uh, on August twenty ninth. I know, Whoa. I know. That's it's bold. Ohio. We don't want to fight you. We no, I love, love you. you. Please I love keep you, listening. But, no fighting. But if you tell me that. I still will fight you, actually. Um, on, on August 29th, Cleveland, Ohio, set a record for the lowest temperature in August at 38 degrees. So I'm like, be better, Ohio. You're in the Midwest, <laughs> or you claim to be in the Midwest. And then, of course, German-adored uh, David Hasselhoff debuted in Night Rider on NBC. I feel like that was aggressive as well. Super Bowl 16, San Francisco 49ers beat the Bengals. Wayne Gretzky, also known as the Great One, was the first in the NHL to score 200 points in a single season. The LA Lakers beat the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA championship. New York Islanders beat the Vancouver Canucks, winning the Stanley Cup. And then also later that year, the Islanders racked up 108 penalty minutes and the Penguins racked up 125 in one single game. That's a lot. I feel like that's a lot. Those are high numbers. Very. For you, a don't, you, don't even, you don't even play hockey. And, and no, that's, you I get you that. that. Yeah. Like, uh, how? That's more minutes than the game is being played. <laughs> Legend athlete Jim Thorpe, uh, 100 year, 110 years later, finally had his gold medals, uh, Olympic gold medals reinstated after they had been stripped from him. The St. Louis Cardinals beat the Milwaukee Brewers, winning the World Series. So there, you're in 1982. Rep, I'm here in mm-hmm. 1982 mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Here we are. And tonight's episode takes us to Council Bluffs, Iowa. We were just there. Well, no, we were. We in, were nearby. We were nearby. We were in Council Bluffs adjacent. When we when this one airs, we'll be actually probably in Council Bluffs, but that's a secret. So you're probably going to have to edit that out from here. You can't predict the future. I mean, right? So Council Bluffs is. Rich Donna, are you a time traveler? What's going on here? Sometimes it's not your business. Council Bluffs is rich in history. President Abraham Lincoln designated the town as the beginning point for the Transcontinental Railroad. And even before that, Lewis and Clark set out on their colonization tour 200 years ago and or 200 years from now. And 
Along with the War Department, they established a fort and trading post, Fort Atkinson. And it's located just over the Missouri River and minutes from Omaha, Nebraska, an hour from Lincoln, Nebraska, and about two hours from Des Moines. Because we don't do miles here. So I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you what the miles are. I didn't even put it in there. No, you better not. No, it's dumb. So it we, is we in, travel in hours. <clears throat> and it's also considered one of the largest cities in Iowa. And in 1983, or 82, excuse me, there were nearly 57,000 people. And today, which is crazy that I'm going to say 40 years later, it's just under 63,000. So it stayed kind of around the, around yeah. the same. So Lee Rotatory was artistic, mostly quiet, and very well liked. She was the oldest of four children and deep down a farm girl at heart. She, was, she grew up outside of Rochester, Minnesota, and when she graduated high school, she went to the University of Wisconsin and graduated with a bachelor's degree in dietary services. She continued into her graduate studies and acquired a master's degree in food nutrition. And Lee was able to further her career, and as her sister said, quote, she got to travel around some, and that travel took her all over the Midwest, and a lot of times off to Wisconsin. According to her brother, she was dad's little girl. In 1978, Lee, who had previously been married and had a child, married Gerald Stanley, or Jerry, Nemke. A year later, they were divorced, only to be remarried in 1981. They didn't have any, other, any children together, but of course, you know, she still had her 11-year-old son at that time. Wow. No children together, divorced, remarried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Her family, which is, this is weird to me, her family didn't know much about him because they'd only met him three separate times. So she traveled around a lot, and they never made it home a lot. A little bit and nomadic, so, so not yeah. a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. to settle down and hang out with mom and dad. With but also it's the Midwest. We're not that far apart. Yeah, that's so. true. And you're clearly willing to travel. Right. Well, yeah. Road trip. Exactly. So by 1983, gender roles were beginning to shift. Women in the workforce had increased to approximately 49%, and women in man- management was only at about 36%. And Lee Rotatory was doing her part in both and paving the way when it obviously wasn't easy being a working woman, early 80s, let alone a working mom at that point. You remember the movie Baby Boom? No. No. Then never mind. I have no frame of reference here, sorry. Never mind, I can't even go there. Somebody somebody will tell me they remember Baby Boom. It was one of my favorites, and it was Diane Keaton, and she was like this working woman. And if if you're looking to have a conversation with Dawn at a future show... There, that's what you bring up right there. You, you bring up the movie. That's bring up your the movie, entry point. Bring up the movie Baby Boom or the Minnesota North Stars. Happy to have a conversation. So Lee had, at this point, had accepted a position at, as the food service director at the Jenny Edmondson Hospital on June 21st, 1983. And at that point, she moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa. And while she was getting settled, she was staying at the Best Western Motor Lodge on 27th Avenue, close to both interstates. She was settling in well and even making fast friends. On the afternoon of Thursday, June 24th, she'd only been there a couple of days, she went boating on a nearby lake with a group of friends that she'd met at the hospital. And one couple was her predecessor. So the guy that she replaced. Okay. So he was also there. And at dusk, they were done on the lake and the group went their separate ways. On her way back to her temporary home at the hotel, Lee stopped at uh, McDonald's for dinner. Because who hasn't done that? few times. In the early afternoon hours of Friday, June 25th, 1982, Lee hadn't arrived at work yet. While she'd only been there a few days, it still seemed out of character for her, or at least what they knew of her. A co-worker of Lee's called the hotel manager and requested a welfare check in room 106. When the hotel manager and the housekeeper opened the door, I can't imagine they expected to see the scene that was there before them. 
At approximately 12.27 p.m. that same day, officers from the Council Bluffs Police Department arrived on scene. On the right side of the blood-soaked bed lay the clearly deceased woman on her back, naked from the waist down. Her missing bottoms combined with evidence left, it was likely that she had been sexually assaulted. There were also ligature marks on her wrists indicating that she had been bound prior to her death and tape residue on her mouth and eyes. Her autopsy would show that she died from a single stab wound. The entrance wound was just below her breast into her heart and had been inflicted from the front of her body. She was likely dead for about 12 hours before she was found. Oddly enough, the tape used to silence and blind her was not located at the scene. Neither were the items that, you, that, were, that were used to tie her up or gag her. And it was evident that the, that the tape and binding material had been removed not only from her body, but also from the crime scene. The entrance to room 106 it didn't show any signs of forced entry. Nothing inside showed any evidence of a struggle between Lee and the assailant. And to investigators, the only thing that seemed out of the ordinary was in, the area, is, was in one area of the room towards the entrance. There was a large amount of green styrofoam, so some in big chunks and some crushed into the carpet, almost as, if, almost as if someone had stepped on it. And typically, regular styrofoam doesn't crumble in such a way, but green floral foam does. What kind? Floral foam. If you've seen it, if you've ever had a floral arrangement. Nope. There, no. no. Nope. Okay. I was waiting no. for some reaction. No. I got no. nothing. I'm like, I'm like, I'm staring at you like, what? No. Anything? And, uh, a lot, and like a lot of different kinds of styrofoam out there, Don Palumbo, and I just I don't know all the varieties. But were you ever walking like packing foam or no. like styrofoam with a TV? No, let me put you in the map. Whenever were you ever like in Ben Franklin or Hobby Lobby? Hobby yes, Lobby, I, like, yes, a bunch of times. Right, and so like, but as a child, right, like walking through and you walk through the floral section, and there was all like the the like the wall of green foam. Oh yeah, and then there were always like little shit ass yep. kids' fingerprints in it. Yes, yes, yes. That's, My grandma used to have that. She'd like put her flowers in, like she'd make that thing wet and put flowers floral in. Floral foam. Wow, yeah. you know exactly floral what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I had to get there. Yeah, My I know. My grandma I, like she loved that stuff, and I definitely, as a shit ass kid, would just po- like poking just holes. Just poking and, holes. Yeah. Yes, I would fuck her floral foam up. All the time. You're about as aggressive as that train conductor. Wow. So, yeah, yeah poor Grandma Helen, right? Poor sweet Grandma Helen. Yeah. Put, so, putting up with my shit. So now that you, now that you understand, right? Yeah. So typical styrofoam, styrofoam doesn't crumble in such a way, but, you know, like when you poke it, right, the floral foam, it just Well, the fun stuff much, leaves right? imprints, yeah. It does, yep. The interesting thing Maybe is that there were... fingerprints. Sorry. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I'm not there, I, yeah. but... And spoiler alert, no, there's okay, not. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. But the interesting thing is that there were not any flowers found in the room, just floral foam. So in the hotel room, which is now a crime scene, investigators found a handwritten letter to her parents. Detectives finally had a starting point. So at this point, they knew her name, but they didn't know who next of kin would be. She's in a hotel, right? You can only imagine. Well, she's, she's yeah, Okay. So the first thing at that point was to do was to tell Lee's parents that their oldest daughter had been murdered. And sadly, her younger brother was the one that had to make all of the phone calls to the rest of the family, letting, her know, or letting them know what had happened to her. According to detectives, because of the way that the scene was left and that there was not much evidence left at the scene, this was likely the assailant's first murder because he was so meticulous. Right? So wow. he, he removed the, he removed the, the tape Right, which likely had fingerprints. He removed everything. 
And so while there appeared to have been flowers in the room at some point, those were all gone as well. All that was left were, you know, just chunks and, and ground up green floral foam. So the meticulousness maybe on their on their part they believe suggests planning. This was not an impulsive was, murder. Potentially. Potentially not an impulsive mm-hmm. murder. I, I thought that when I heard that there was just the one stab wound to the heart. Right. That with with most with uh, sadly with many of the stabbings that we have seen, it's rarely a single stab like right. that. It's and that so, was also one indicator of his first murder. Or, oh. or his or her first murder. Or yeah. well, an organized one at that too. Yeah. So Council Bluffs Police Department Captain Eldon Jones said, quote, the most perplexing case I've had the opportunity to be involved with. There were six detectives assigned to the murder. When detectives spoke with a family, it was a surprise to them, to detectives, to find out that their victim was also married. So her husband, and remember, this is the husband that had only met the the family, family barely knows like, him. Yeah, yeah they exactly. barely know him. They're just like, hey, check out this guy because, you know, I think that's her husband. What about her rando-ass husband? <laughs> right. Like, that's what her family's right, basically, thinking. Yeah. So her husband, Jerry Nemke, was planning on moving down to Council Bluffs but was still at their home in Michigan. So once she got settled, he was planning on moving there. And like any case, the spouse or significant other is always the first one to be a potential suspect. And Jerry made things a little weird right out of the gate. So he didn't seem like the typical grieving husband. He was cooperative, but right away into questioning, or like not long into questioning, he asked specifically what happened to her valuables. So her wallet, credit cards, rings, and watch. I mean, it's not an unfair question, but... I mean, shed a couple tears at first, you know, or like before you ask about those Um, things. I don't know. You know know what? People are welcome to grieve however they feel, you know. That's true. We all grieve differently. But if I am ever found at a crime scene, you know, I'm always wearing some sort of Don't worry. I'll get your shoes. Thank you. Thank you. I'll make sure someone gets your shoes, my Or my jewelry, you know, like this is, yeah. So you're going to, I mean, how long is it going to take you to ask that? Ask that question. You know, and also I, it was 19, eh, question it was, 17 or so. It was 1982. You know, also, I'm guessing I got 16 good questions in me before I get to the question <laughs> of my deceased loved one's valuables. So if I got murdered, you would you would you'd make it almost 20 questions before you asked what happened to my shit. Yeah, I think I think I'd get oh. about 20, maybe. It depends on the situation. That's a whole other story altogether. Huh. I did not see that coming. OK, so obviously this seemed a bit suspicious to investigators. There were things missing, so I believe it was uh, her rings and her watch. And at that point, then they thought it was a potential robbery as well. And in in his defense, too, it is maybe smart to ask what's missing because what's missing could be a clue. You could have somebody fencing stolen goods. You could have somebody taking valuables to a pawn shop, anything like that. So on some level, if she's missing valuables, that could be a marker of somebody carrying something stolen that could... Well, I want to put a pin in that, okay? And then we'll come back to it. Okay. If we remember to come back to it, that's going to be great, but I'm guessing we won't. But what what made him more interesting is that her husband, Jerry, this guy that that asked about the the valuables, he had a prior murder conviction. What? Mm -hmm. So when he was 17, he was questioned for the well-known starved rock murders in Illinois. So there were three women who were murdered in, in Illinois. He was questioned for that. He wasn't charged with those. However, he was also questioned in the murder of Marilyn Duncan, a young woman from Chicago. So when he met Marilyn Duncan, he had just escaped from a youth camp and was on a date with her. And, he, and he's 17. Like, what? I mean, going for the cougars right away. I think it's, it's great. But 
he had just escaped from a youth camp, which is he was likely court ordered to be there, right? Oh, and yeah. one of those youth camps. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Triangle Y camp. He I, was I don't. Escaping I don't. From. When I say camp, I'm yeah. like I'm using quotations. Not, like, it wasn't camp. wasn't Camp of the Cross up there at Metagoshi. No. He was fleeing from. <laughs> no. No. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think he was required to be there. Yeah. And so delinquent it, camp. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. That's a better. That's a nice way of yeah, saying it. Yeah, it's a pleasant way yeah. to say it. But yeah. So he question for murder twice. Twice. Listen, if you get questioned twice for murder, you're off my friends list. Well, I'll I, give you one time. One time as my friend, if you get questioned for murder, okay, coincidence. I would Two say, times? No, I would Fuck say. Fuck you. You're done. No, no, no. Hold on. I would say after the year 2015, if you've been questioned more than once, then we have an issue. But like in the 80s, it was like, hmm, oh, that guy 80s. looks good. It's far you more know? common to get questioned for murder back then. Well, it was okay. the 80s. It wasn't until the third time you had to have an issue in the 80s. Third murder questioning, you suck. I feel like it's... I'll give you two. I feel like it's important to point out that it was the 80s. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So eventually, though, he did confess to assaulting and beating Marilyn, his date, to death. Oh. How is he out? What is happening? I'm about to say that. Like, give me a second. Like... (laughs) He was convicted and sentenced to death in her murder. Sentenced to death. So not just convicted, but he was sentenced to death. But that conviction was overturned just under two years later on a technicality. <sighs> what? Mm-hmm. And so he maintained, he was adamant that he could not be a suspect. He had an alibi and a, and a tight alibi at that. So he was still in Michigan, 600 miles away from Council Bluffs, right? And his boss confirmed that he was, in fact, at work. For this murder. Mm-hmm. Right. Allegedly. I mean, allegedly at this point. But still, detectives just doubled down and he continued to go into great detail as to why there was absolutely no possible way he could be a suspect. Ultimately, he was ruled out because his boss at his side gig also confirmed and verified that he was, that he was there. Okay. All right, real real and boss and side gig boss both back you up. His side gig was as a flower delivery person. <laughs> yeah, which is just a really oh. weird, just a really weird, weird coincidence. And I'm not a big coincidence person, but this was a coincidence. Okay. So, but again, his boss confirmed that he was, you know, still in fact in Michigan, made deliveries, all that. So this is, Typically, we don't speculate on here, but I, I want to. It was 1982, so you know, put yourself into that into that uh, mentality or that that time frame, right? And from just looking at all of the research, I think they wanted him for this, right? So they they almost pigeonholed and and likely got mm, tunnel vision yes, when it came yep. to when it came to him because I mean he had been convicted of murder before, but it was overturned. You know, he was a flower delivery person, right? You can kind of see how that would add up. It It, it is all there against him. So mm-hmm. it, yeah, yeah, I, I could see. I mean, I think they, I think they obviously still looked into other leads, but they definitely focused on him for, for a little while. So who knows what could have turned up then at that point? Because yeah, they probably let, they could have let a lot of things go that they, they didn't otherwise pursue or dedicate right. the manpower to. Because or, they, they know, had the, him the, made for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and sadly, her case started to go lukewarm at that point. Leads dried up, and investigators had little else to go on. So there was no other like major forensic Nothing. evidence from well, the scene that was helping. They had they had forensic evidence, but again, it's 1982. Sure, yeah, forensic so, e- evidence for that time, as in fingerprints or whatever sure. was available. Yeah, it was that, just not, not nothing that matched or anything like that. 
but they probably have some something that might be useful in the future. Right. Well, and as with most cases, like you like you said there, the development of DNA and forensic testing helped a lot of cold cases. Right. I mean, and especially in Iowa, which I'll talk about kind of towards the end, that was kind of a bit a big deal. But I mean, the development in, uh, of DNA and forensic testing, you know, it was. I mean, it was the the beginnings of CSI, you know, all that shit, all of those shitty shows on TV, well, and, and because of because of that, right? So they're not all shitty, but yeah, I get you. Uh, I mean, I would venture they, to say they're pretty shitty. I they think. have not, somewhat I would, of a timeline though with her. With I feel like that should be helpful, but what do you mean? The timeline of her going out to party at the lake, then McDonald's, and then between McDonald's and the morning, she doesn't make it home. So you you have well, a, she made it home, but she didn't make it to work. She was oh, found in her hotel room. Yeah. I thought she went to she went partying, left, got a hotel room, went to McDonald's, and then never made it home. No, that was where she was staying. She was staying there. Oh, that, that's oh, where she was. Okay, that, that was her me, temporary that was her residence. Yep, that's that was her temporary was. residence. And so we're going to fast forward all the way to 2001. So nearly 20 years later, which wow, I feel like that math just is not math. There's no way 2001 and 1982 are almost 20 years apart. But I'm getting old, and it's, I'm struggling with it. So in 2001, the evidence that had been collected at the murder scene in 1982 was resubmitted to the state crime lab in Iowa. And the evidence showed that there was, because of, because of the development, there was a male DNA profile that had been left behind. I think we can all read between the lines and semen, right? Oh, yes, yeah, from, mm-hmm. yes, from the sexual assault. And at least I don't have to say secretor or non-secretor anymore because that's, if you go back to the 70s, that's all that there was. So that profile was then entered into both state and federal DNA databases, which at that time were just starting to get, uh, just starting to be developed, right? And when detectives decades later are reexamining cold cases, there's likely a, a sense of hope that will, um, that, that a, a match will populate, right? Unfortunately, in this case, the male profile did not match with any profile in the databases. And over the years, as the years continued on, the lab checked the profile in the system, like they would they would re, you know, periodic it, checking, right? yeah, yep, and still nothing came forward. So it's like, how is this person not coming up anywhere? So, again, as as we as we know, and as we recently, what, what oh, you want to say? No, go for it. I, I was just going to say that's really creepy because the way that crime scene, the way that murder was. It felt like this was a person who would kill more, and the way that the, the the way the detectives said it seemed like a first kill. That led me to believe that they figured this was somebody who would kill again. Mm-hmm. And here we are, twenty years later, and right. th- yeah, that's so that creeps me out. Well, and we're going to go even further because, again, like once once DNA was discovered and, and forensic testing, I don't want to say discovered, but uh, pursued. You know that that study was pursued. Uh, you know, over the last couple of decades or since then, DNA and forensic technology has, you know, continued to evolve, right? We're, I mean, we're very far into it. Good luck committing a murder at this point, although it still happens a lot. So this one was, was a little different because in addition to that evolution of those things, it also used a university student from Pennsylvania. Yes. It okay. makes no sense. It shouldn't make sense because it doesn't. So in 2011, a detective from the Council Bluffs Police Department, Steve Andrews, started working alongside the crime lab manager for the department. Her name is Katie Petit. And it wouldn't be until 2018. So still, from 2018 to 2011, that's seven years that's passing by, right? Shit's still happening, and it's the cold case file, right, you know, that you keep revisiting. It's, it's you know, constantly being resubmitted, those Those cold case files are, are probably thick, especially right. as you're pushing yep. through this DNA evidence. So for sure, yeah. yep. 
And so it would it would be until it wouldn't be until 2018 that 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 the cold case of of Levator, uh, rotatory would get another boost. So a captain with the police department watched coverage of how the Golden State Killer, and I'm not going to name his name because I'm not giving him more, more more notoriety, but he was tied and how he was tied to the crimes and murders that he committed, and tied to those by genetic genealogy. Okay. Right. So you know, think ancestry.com, all of those, you know, those 23andMe, all of those things. And so we've we've actually talked about this same company in another case, Parabon Nanolabs. And if you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, if you remember those, do you do you remember the Michelle Martinko case? Yep. Also Iowa. Yep, it rings a bell. Not a not a coincidence there. And so Parabon Nanolabs got involved and the department <clears throat> I, I'm gonna blame it on the fire. Can I blame it on the fire? Yes. Okay, thank you. That's very fair. <clears throat> You just want to read the rest of it? No. I'm struggling. I mean, it's the fire and or the martinis. Just I've not had any martinis. <laughs> know, no, just... no. If I had a martini, like I'd fall asleep, but I... Um, well, or a water no, or a juice, have... a juice box. Don juice box Palumbo. That's what so we call her in what the we business. call her in the business. Uh, I'll have a water and a uh, Hopton, please. I know I'm not drinking baby beers anymore. I know it's a big deal. You're going to edit this out, right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> part of that live experience. It is. It is that live experience. You get to see me in my full-on awkward bullshit. It's cool. Uh, so anyway, so we, like I said, we've talked about the, the Parabon uh, nanolabs. nanolabs. Yep. And the department, uh, Council Bluffs Department, sent the DNA sample to that company and they use DNA and forensics to tie profiles to other cases using the, the gen- genetic testing similar to 23andMe, Ancestry.com, right? So a short while later, I think it's it's important to note that when when you submit your profile, like it's also submitted to a national database too. So, so more people should submit their profiles. Well, I feel like we close a lot of cases if we're doing every if we're doing the work on the back end as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, it's it's fascinating stuff. So a short while later, a couple months or so, and at this point, it's been you know, how many years, right? It's been, you know, 30, 35 years at this point. Uh, a short while later, so just a couple months, the, the company said that they were able to dial it down just a little bit. And when I say that, uh, the, the, the person that belonged to the DNA that was left behind was a white man of Northern European descent. So Is not narrowed Jerry? down. Yeah. So, Is that well, Jerry? Or you know a million other people in yeah. Iowa. I yeah. mean, it's you know we're we're it's true Northern European descent. Okay. Oh, cool. what you're I saying mean, is they didn't really narrow it down no, too much. No, no, not at all. They basically said we can tell you it wasn't a minority. Right. It's just a white guy. Yeah, it's a and, white guy you know, for sure. Yeah, basically that's which I mean he okay. might have eyes. <laughs> There's a chance they There's might a chance. be a color. Could have been bald. Right at this point. So at this point, and I think it's also important to note though too that that at, at this point. Um, all of these cases were being resubmitted to this to this thing, so it was it was a waiting game. Progress and is progress. It, it is. It is. I mean, at least you know that. I mean, it's still it's still a step in a direction in the right direction. That of, is, uh, yeah, is not getting there. The absence of progress. So. Right. Um, you know, but a Thank white you, guy. Stacey, oh, be careful. Watch your step. A white guy from Europe, right? I mean, big surprise. It's Iowa. Uh, the other, the only other surprise was if you were like Norwegian or something. So the department was told that by Parabon uh, Nanolabs that it was basically slim to none and a waiting game as more and more people began to use those DNA kits for genetic purposes. So now enter the weird college kid from Pennsylvania who's actually super cool and nerdy. 
It's okay. really cool. And I think without him, this would not be this would not be where it is today. So in March of 2020, Eric Schubert, who was interested in genealogy, just interested in genealogy, not like a kid with a hobby, just has a hobby yeah. in genealogy, contacted the Council Bluffs Police Department asking if they had any cold cases that they needed assistance on. <laughs> and so the the guys like <laughs> that's fantastic, the, right? So the the chief of police is like. This seems weird, right? So they vetted him. They, you know, He's they did like, the research what? and right. Yeah. Who just, you know, who just wants to to help who? out? I mean, we're all armchair detectives, right? But to actually reach out is a different, that's a different story. And so once he contacted them, once they were able to figure out that, yeah, this guy is, this kid is legit. He's just nerdy and cool. What was, okay. But his sales pitch was that he was majoring in genealogy as like his study. Like he, he was a, he was majoring in forensics or nope. he was literally just, no, Hey, look, do you need help? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you need yep. help? I think I'm really and good at computers and I like genealogy and crime stuff. Basically. I mean, in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think he probably worded it a little more articulate, but, yeah, I, you know, but I imagine yeah. there was a, a bit more eloquence in his pitch, but that's a hell of a thing to do. That's a hell of a pitch. I know. Honestly, I'm kind of, I'm kind who of doesn't need that help. I know. It, well, exactly. Why are more people exactly. doing that? Do you have these skills? But I want you to remember that though, because we're going to come back to Iowa because Iowa is something really important to point okay. out. So, in just a short time, the Pennsylvania kid, this Eric Schubert, was able to identify the great-grandparent of the DNA sample. So Parabon Nanolabs was not able to, but using the information that they provided, he was able to drill down and figure it out. Well, Parabon probably put an intern on it, you know? Well, I, well and also it was 2018. and not 20, a hobbyist. 2020 at this point, so. Intern, hobbyist. Uh, yeah. These are not the same. Actually, you're right. They're, they're probably not the same. So the they were a, actually able to work together with detectives to build the family tree, which, of course, like any family tree, branched into multiple directions and included hundreds of names. Right. So imagine if you if you're taking your family tree that, you know, not a whole lot about. Right. And I mean, you've got hundreds of names to go it's through. It's just blossoming mm-hmm. name after name. Well, and, and and the fact that it was at the great grandparent at this point of this guy. So Detective Andrews from the Council Bluffs Police Department would then contact the individuals once they've done that to see if they would submit a DNA sample. And according to him, most were more often than not happy to, to do so, happy to provide one. But I really want to hear the conversations about the guys that didn't. Like that's, that would be, I feel like that would add more. But So Eric Schubert was described by Detective Andrews as, quote, the mad genius of genealogy. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and when you see this guy, I mean this with the utmost respect, this, this guy is uh, pretty nerdy. He'd get typecast as the he, nerd friend in a, in, a, in a rom-com, you and know, I, like that's what you're talking about, something like that? Maybe not even that far. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like that, that nerd would quite make it to the rom-com, you know, and I mean this with the utmost respect because this guy, I mean, obviously is, is slaying it out there, but it, to have that kind of knowledge is just fascinating to me. So being described by a detective as the mad genius of, of genealogy is kind of a big deal. I think, I think it's really cool. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible compliment and he's, he's super young still 20. Yeah. Yeah. I think 20, 21, something like that. So the, eventually the suspects were narrowed down to two brothers at the time of the murder. One was too young to have been able to commit it. And the other one was Thomas O. Freeman. Perfect match. In 1982, Freeman was 35 and worked as a long-haul trucker. While they couldn't get into contact with Freeman, they were able to contact his daughter, who agreed to submit a DNA sample. Oh. 
That sample matched the DNA that was left at the crime scene. So there was wow. absolutely, absolutely no way that this guy was not the one. Wow. Remember, uh, remember what episode was it um, when I said O1E? Mm-hmm. DNA match, mm-hmm. similar situation. Yeah, you shouldn't repeat that phrase ever again. No, I feel like if I call yeah. it out, it's better. It's better. But O1E, I was trying to spell one and I said O1E. Did, okay. and, and she knew when she was asked like, hey, we we need your DNA because we believe you might be re- related to somebody who yeah. Yeah, I mean, is the, a you're, murderer. You're being contacted by the police department. Wow. So there's, there, you know, in explaining genetic genealogy at this point and and yeah, she's that. an adult, so she has mm-hmm. to be an adult, of course, to agree to do yeah. that. So yeah. imagine as an adult being approached to find out that your dad mm-hmm. is a is is possibly a killer, yeah. and then it comes back as positive. So the police can only guess that he murdered Lee. This this Thomas uh, Freeman murdered Lee just as he was passing through. He was a trucker, and it was close to the through. interstate where she mm-hmm. was staying. Mm-hmm. That's the only way they they can figure it out because just four months following Lee's murder, his body was found in Southern Illinois dead. What? He, had, he had been shot four times in the chest and his murder remains unsolved. Holy mm-hmm. shit. So according to police quote shot four times and dumped in a wooden area or wooded area, excuse me, not far from where he lived. So while they, without a doubt, know that he killed Lee, they remain unsure if his murder is connected to hers in any way. That is absolutely chilling. So I, I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like a jerk for for sharing this one because it has a resolution, but also doesn't. There's you know there's no reason as to why. There's no motive. There's nothing nothing about that. Well, you don't. You, you, there's no closure. There's no closure. You really you find out the who, but not having the motive other than okay, this guy was a sicko. That again, that's what that's what creeped me out about that murder. That just doesn't feel. That doesn't seem like somebody who killed one time. This was not to me the murder of a person. You know, uh, that just did it once and then oh, I'm good. I'm not going to kill again. Well, so I, and I I don't agree. I don't agree with that uh, original idea. Behind that, that she was the that she was the first. She was the first one. No, I I thought that seemed weird because first time murders are sloppy. First time murders make mistakes. That was that that seemed off to me. But that's why I said, well, this seemed planned. This is, I guess, if somebody was really planning on a on a on a detailed scale how they would do a murder, how they would commit a murder. Well, then you know that that is it. That felt like planning, orchestration, not leaving anything behind. I guess other than, you know. From the from the sexual assault, right? Well, and I think we're both. I think we're both right because I, I don't think that. I mean, you're right. The the first murder is going to be a little messy. It's it's that sounds insensitive, but you know what I mean. Like it's not going to it's not going to be well planned, right? Be, and and the interesting part is a couple months before Lee. Don's going double laptop I mode know. for this. Now, it's now, first time ever. She's usually double fisting beers. Now she's double fisting devices. I don't want to, you know, that's still too soon. Uh, so the interesting part is there was a similar murder. So just a couple months prior, in April, on April 9th of 1982, uh, police were called to the Starlight Motel in Council Bluffs regarding, you know, a potential disturbance about a man with a knife. When they arrived, they found... Uh, the, this woman, and she was 21-year-old Linda Mayfield. She was lying face down 
by the office door, and she'd had several stab wounds to her face, chest, stomach, hand, and foot. And there are enough similarities between the cases that make it seem like they could be related. They weren't able to link any DNA from that one to no. the next one or anything. No. So that, that was going to Which, be my, my next question about I Freeman wanna, is, is if there was any other DNA of his linked anywhere out there. But that's the thing is that's an unsolved case. Yet. That's okay. an unsolved case. So they're, you know, until they have more, even though the guy is deceased, they're not going to be able to right, release I guess, that much. I guess my, my, my thought process is, okay, this guy is deceased, but we've confirmed his DNA as being the DNA of a murderer do they, and I guess vaguely they, the government, the FBI, fucking somebody with a criminal database, then take his blood and be like, all right, let's run this through the databases and identify if he is associated with any other killings. But that's the thing is they did. They did that. And they never found they never, anything Nothing else. ever came up. Okay. Because it was no known profile at, at that point. Sure. Right? So Linda Mayfield remains unsolved. And I, the reason I wanted to come back to Iowa and follow up on that is Iowa – coldcase.org is a really, really interesting, I don't want to say database because it's not really, but it's it, but it, but it shares all of their cold cases. They That state does a very, very good job of notifying people, I guess, if you will, or keeping them out there, if you will. Sure. And I, I think it's an, I think it's incredible. They do a great job. And Michelle Martinko, she was one of those. And I think it's because of the work of these departments, whether they, it be, you know, Interdepartment information or, or uh, workings together. I, I think they have done such an amazing job of doing that because they, they can cross off Michelle Martinko. They can cross off this case all by genetic genealogy testing. So I think it's I think it's really good. And so if you go to IowaColdCase.org, which is where the majority of this information came from today, it, it's a it's a great resource. It's got a lot of information, and hopefully they continue to um, share that stuff. Well, yeah, we'd love to see more of that yeah. everywhere, and bravo Ooh. to that department, but to to the the young man who stepped in there and as the mad genius I to know. That, offer his help. We we yeah. need more of that. I, and I wasn't able to find like what that guy's doing now, right? I mean, I feel like he should be doing something super smart. And, and this, I'm not obviously because I just described it that way, but yeah. <laughs> and this this closed Lee's case. This was it. The, okay. This was it. But they just don't know what the motive yeah, was and they don't know it's I guess one case closure to another so there to another open because I, I had seen other I guess recent stories about these highway killers and there being a bigger push on <laughs> some of these early the 70s the 80s the 90s right. the highway killers through the Midwest there's there's more data being pushed and, and linking more of these people to different killings that were previously yeah. unsolved I, I think as we continue to go on and, and like as the years uh, go on and, and genetic testing and, and DNA testing evolve I think more and more of those are going to be solved um, with the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s. But and we were actually asked about the Iowa cold case when we were uh, – remember that time when we were in, in Iowa and you said South Dakota, but we weren't yeah, actually in Iowa? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they asked us about the Iowa cold case um, website. So it, I, I find it fascinating that it worked out. But And again, Michelle Martinko, uh, that was the, the O1E DNA episode there, that it was solved in the exact same way. So, uh, sources for today, thepeoplehistory.com, onthisday.com, nps.com, The Atlantic, uh, which was an article by George Gilder, iowacoldcases.org, Omaha World Herald, and Mike Brownlee article in the Gazette. So check out our merch store. You can find 
find it on our social media or the link on our social media. If you're here tonight, we have some. Uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on whichever platform that you find Midwest Murder on. A big thanks to everyone who has already. Midwest Murder is hosted by The Guy, Joan Lanto, and myself, Don Palumbo, the intellectually lazy one, and produced by the Good Talk Network. This episode is written by myself, and gosh dang, do we appreciate you for listening. Gosh dang, do, gosh we, dang. do we ever appreciate you. Thank yeah. you so much. And, and don't forget your episode title suggestion. That's the one. Absolutely. Thank you, Atypical. Thank you, Minot. Thank you.